0: Is that not nice to be able to sing and hear each other's voices this morning? We're outside where voices are just kind of going up into the air, and so it's really beautiful to be able to to sing aloud and hear each of your voices bouncing off the wall. So, so encouraging. Hey, if we have never met before, uh, my name's Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, just so thankful uh, that you guys have all joined us uh, this morning, just really encouraged by uh, seeing your faces and... Uh, just, just so excited for what God has uh, in store for us. Welcome. Let me say officially: welcome to church inside. I've been saying a lot of welcome to church outside, but we're now church inside, which is very exciting. Uh, we uh, last week and know for sure this week we were like eggs on a frying pan out there on the asphalt, and uh, just knew it was time to uh, come inside after looking at the. The forecast. Our kind of our, our bigger idea initially was to get this place all renovated and then have a grand opening and voila, here it is. And now you get to kind of see the slow process. And so that'll be that'll be fun. We'll have a big community uh, grand opening after renovations come uh, come September. So uh, again, it's going to be a good one uh, this morning. I know it's a little bit different because uh, for those of you with little kids, you're not able to just let them kind of run around a bit outside like we are now that we're inside here. But uh, let me just give you a few uh, quick thoughts. One. Uh, River Kids uh, team has put together these great activity bags for you. What I'd encourage you to do, parents, is to grab those bags, hold on to them, and then now's a good time to give those to your kiddos to, uh, to jump into so that they can uh, do that through our time together. We just want to see them continue to grow uh, in their faith. Uh, also, you just want to help, help your kids learn uh, to, to be able to sit through, uh, through the church gathering. will intentionally, as the summer gets warm, and uh, as kids are here uh, through the summer, we're going to intentionally make sure that the service is a little bit shorter. Uh, so I'd encourage you uh, to just consider how you're going to make this work uh, for your family. Maybe you want to come, and like we did when we were inside pre-pandemic at the Irving School, and just kind of hang out uh, with the kiddos during the, the time of music. And then after that, if you wanted to slip back and let them kind of roam if they need to for a bit watch it on live livestream, uh, you can do that as well. But the only option that we really don't want to make available for you is the option of just checking out for the summer. Uh, we really want to be uh, together. So much is at stake. Uh, we need to come together to spur one another on. And So uh, I just want to encourage you, uh, prayerfully consider what that's going to look like for your family if you guys have uh, kids who are young. I know it's challenging, we acknowledge that. And I'll say this, we are completely okay with little squeaking and squawking when we say this often. It's a reminder of God's blessing, right? Children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so hearing a little bit of noise is an encouragement and a reminder that God is uh, showing us his favor. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for our kiddos, and I also wanna just pray that God would meet us here as we open up the scripture. So can we go to God in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you, thank you, thank you for this morning, what a gift, to be able to come together inside of our new space. You are so good to us. You are so good to us. This is years and years and years of prayer and fasting and seeking your face for what you would have for us as a church family for a more long-term location. And so you are so good, we thank you. And God, as we're still still in pandemic and we're still kind of in in a season of transition, Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people uh, to practice biblical forbearance as everybody has different comfort levels and we're all kind of navigating this thing. We have lots of people watching online right now may they know they're loved and, and everywhere in between, God, we just pray that uh, you would continue to keep us unified and increasingly uh, unified in this season. You tell us uh, to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So Lord, you have given us access to your kind of unity. Help us to maintain it. And Lord, pray too for uh, all of our kiddos. Thank you for them. Uh, what a gift that you have given us. And the kids. And we pray, Father, that you would just allow them in this season uh, to continue to grow and to become more and more uh, like Jesus. Uh, bring them to the, the place in their lives where they're going to follow him wholeheartedly. It won't be mom and dad's faith, it'll be their faith. And so we commit them to you and to God as we open up your scriptures uh, this morning. I uh, pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way uh, that only you can. And we commit it to you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I was thinking back to uh, my, my school days, and in my school days, I, I remember one particular school assembly uh, that was held to really help us think through the dangers and the, the challenges that come uh, with drunk driving, and I remember um, learning about the laws and the limits of alcohol impairment, and uh, I remember uh, hearing testimonies testimonials of people's lives who have been really ruined because of drunk driving. But I think the most impactful uh, aspect of the assembly for me was when they passed around uh, what we called the drunk driver Glasses. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The drunk driver glasses and you would put these glasses on and they would simulate for you when you had them on the impairment when your, your vision was at an illegal blood alcohol limit for driving. And so I was wondering, hey are those things still around? And so I looked them up on Amazon and they are, they're a little more sophisticated these days. They're actually, uh, they look like ski goggles and they're called uh, the Drunk Buster Impairment Goggles. And yeah, they're basically just ski goggles that you put on and uh, simulate, you know, this dizzy kind of illegal limit uh, for driving. And so uh, they're used by schools, they're used by um, assemblies at schools and uh, driving schools, and also YouTubers, just for a good uh, good old laugh. But uh, we're able to see through the eyes of a drunk driver. Well, here's the bottom line for today. Today, I want all of us to begin to see through the eyes of Jesus. To begin to see through the eyes of Jesus, to put the the Jesus goggles on and to start to see people the way he sees people. Imagine how different the world would look to you if you were looking at every single interaction through the eyes of Jesus. So we've been in a series of sermons uh, for the past number of weeks here that we're calling Questions. And each week what we're doing is we're asking a question that Jesus asks us in the Gospels. He asks questions that, uh, that, that he, he's getting answers from us, not because he's curious or he needs to know, he's asking these questions of us to draw things out of us for personal reflection and for, for self-discovery. And so here's the question that Jesus is asking us today. He's asking every single one of us this question today, and that is this, do you see this woman? He's asking us, do you see this woman? This particular, specific woman, not a a swath of people, not a demographic of people, one. Jesus is concerned with the one. Do you see her? So let's look at at Luke chapter seven, verse 36. Is where we're going to land. You can go there uh, on the church app if you would like to. Uh, We've got the Bible on the bottom right. Or uh, I'd love to see us as we're we're inside now. Start to get back in the habit of bringing our paper Bibles with us to church. Luke chapter seven, uh, verse thirty-six says, "And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at table." And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So this is a really scandalous yet powerful moment. Jesus is invited to have a meal in the home of a Pharisee. We'll later learn that his name is Simon. Now the Pharisees uh, were really the most popular, most influential of the three sects uh, in Jewish society in that day. And so Jesus gets invited to a Pharisee's house named Simon, and he comes and it says that he reclines at table. Uh, The way a formal meal worked back then was there was a, a low table, then all the guests in the house, people who were there for the meal, would kind of recline and lean on their side around the table with their feet poking out from around the table, kind of like spokes coming off of a hub. Now In this scenario, uh, with Jesus as teacher and as rabbi and growing attraction, people coming to to hear him, it would not have been odd for Jesus to to be at the table with a few select people of of the Pharisees Simon who invited them, but then also have a number of other people maybe standing on the outskirts of the room listening in. And one particular woman we see comes in and she shows up, of course, just to listen in And it says, though, that she explicitly, says, is a sinner. Now, obviously, we should know that we are all sinners. We have all sinned against God. But by being labeled a sinner means that her lifestyle, her profession, was explicitly sinful. With little ones in the room, I'll let you kind of guess what her line of work was. Now, she is so moved by the presence of Jesus that while she's in there with Jesus teaching, she begins to weep and she's standing behind, specifically where Jesus replied, and as she begins to weep, her tears start to fall at Jesus' feet. Not only that, though, she does something really profound that made a massive scene. She kneels down, And she lets down her hair, which would have been considered immodest in that day. She lets down her hair so her long flowing hair is there. And she takes her hair and she uses it, along with the tears, to wipe the feet of Jesus. Now a formal uh, hospitable meal in that day and age, you would have offered for someone as they come in off of the dusty streets of, of that region uh, with sandals, you would have offered them the opportunity to have their feet washed or you would have done it uh, potentially even yourself. And so it was, it's pretty amazing that that did not happen for Jesus in light of all of the popularity of Jesus in that day, all the, the buzz around who he was, he wasn't offered that option. This woman starts to weep, drops down her hair, cleans his feet with her tears and her hair. Now, if that's not strange enough and scandalous enough, uh, she proceeds to do something even, even more outrageous. She takes an alabaster flask of ointment and she anoints Jesus' feet with this Ointment. It's a massive, massive gesture. Alabaster was a soft stone that was used for fine craftsmanship. In the Jewish tradition in that day, when a young girl was ready for marriage, her family would purchase an alabaster flask or a box and they would fill it with expensive ointments and oils uh, and the only way really to get into that box was to actually shatter the box to break the box it was a it was a, it was a it was an amazing uh, tradition in that day and really the bigger the box was the bigger the flask was it meant the larger the dowry available from this family and this young woman and so when a man would come and ask this woman for her hand in marriage, uh, she would then go and pull out the box full of the expensive ointment and, and oil and she would break it at her soon-to-be husband's feet and it was a sign of honor and a sign of, of respect for his request. And this woman just did this that was reserved for her soon-to-be husband. She did this all for Jesus. She took this Large portion of her family inheritance and recklessly and carelessly gives it to Jesus, showing her love and her faith in him. This woman, based on her profession, was very poor, needed money, and she takes likely the most expensive thing that she has and she carelessly, carefree, uninhibited act of faith and worship gives it to Jesus. I wonder what we're thinking right now. Is that foolish or is that faith-filled? Listen to the thinking from Simon the Pharisee, the host, verse 39. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon begins kind of this this mental dialogue, thinking to himself, well, if Jesus was a true prophet, he wouldn't let this woman of all people touch him because he would really know who she actually is. Simon's kind of puffed up in this moment. He's he's judgmental in this moment. He's looking down on this woman, thinking that certainly a man of God would steer clear of a woman like this. Now, listen to to Jesus' response in verse 40. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. So Jesus basically says, what did you say, Simon? And I would imagine Simon was, was off guard. Wait, I didn't say anything. Because notice it says that, that Simon only thought this. He didn't say it out loud. But Jesus knows the thoughts and the intentions and the internal dialogues and the hidden prejudices within each of us. What did you say? I have something to say to you. Now read on, beginning in in verse 41. Here's what Jesus says. He says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So here's Jesus's illustration. There are two people who are in debt to the same person. One owed 500 denarii. That's about 20 months wage. So imagine a year and a half salary. The other owes 50 denarii. This, this lender forgives the debts of both of these people. Which one, Simon, which one to all of us, do you think is going to be more grateful to the lender. I asked my daughter this question uh, yesterday and she said, yeah, obvious, it's the one who owed 500. I don't always practice my sermons on my kids, but I, I was able to yesterday, and just making sure it was obvious, because I thought it was obvious, it's obvious, right? The, the one who has the larger debt forgiven is going to be the one who's like, wow, I can't believe it. Right now, the illustration, the connection that Jesus is making should also be rather obvious, right? Simon is this religious leader who doesn't think he's sinned all that much. I'm sure if he's got some decent theology, he knows he has sinned, but not all that bad. And this woman, on the other hand, she is a sinner, and she she recognizes her sin and she's blown away by the forgiveness and the grace and the generosity available to her in Jesus. And as a result, she is led to this extravagant moment of worship. While Simon, the host, is now looking down on her. And so here comes Jesus' question. Read on with me to the end of it, verse 44. And then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, Jesus doesn't wink at sins, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she, is loved, for she loved much, that he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So what Jesus does is he gives us a side-by-side comparison of the host and the woman. He says, Simon, from the time I came into your house, you never offered to wash my feet. Customary hospitality. She, on the other hand, has wet my feet with her tears and washed my feet with her hair. You never gave me a kiss, which was a common gesture of hospitality. But she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You you didn't anoint my head. With, with oil, again, customary to provide to some kind of refreshing. I've been like offering water to, to a guest or, or showing them where the restroom is. They can wash their hands before a meal. But she anointed my feet with this massive gesture. Therefore, because of her posture and her humility before me and her faith in me, her sins are forgiven. And he looks at her and he speaks directly to her and he says, your sins are forgiven and go in peace. This Guys, this is so powerful so powerful and I want all of us to think personally now on this question Simon do you see this woman not unlike last week's question there there is an obvious answer well, yes. Obviously, of course, I see this woman. In fact, we know, as we get a little peek into his mind, that he hasn't stopped thinking about her and her shenanigans since the day she showed, her, the moment she walked in to kind of ruin his party. Yeah, I see this woman. I see this woman. But I think it's kind of like with, with my own kids. Sometimes I know that they, though they hear me, they don't hear me. You know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes I wonder, do I? If I was in their their head, do I sound like one of the adults from Charlie Brown? Do you, do you actually hear what I'm saying? Like I know they, they hear me literally, but are they listening? Do they, do they hear me deeply? Do they know that the, the words that are coming out of my, my mouth carry with them a deep love, that I truly have their best interest in mind? I want them to really, really hear me. And the same thing goes with our sight, that sometimes we see people But we don't really see people, if you know what I mean. Like Simon saw her as as a sinner. She was seen solely for her past behavior. She was seen solely for her her failure. She was not seen as a soul. She wasn't seen as a human who God created. She wasn't seen as as someone who maybe is in this situation in the first place because she herself was, was deeply hurt. We often remind our kids and even ourselves that that hurt people hurt people so somebody's being a bully somebody's being mean there's probably something that was even done towards them that, that they're continuing to perpetuate right so Simon saw her through Simon's eyes and he didn't see her as a person with shared humanity he didn't see her as a person with shared worth before God he didn't see her as a person for who she can be Christ rather than mentally allowing himself to enter into her reality. He only saw her through his. You guys remember the movie from the early 2000s, The Day After Tomorrow? Does anybody remember this movie? Big blockbuster hit. Uh, Dennis Quaid is the leading character and he's this climate expert. At the beginning of the movie, he stands before all kinds of global leaders and he predicts Global warming is gonna cause uh, a new ice age in the northern hemisphere. Much of it is gonna be, a, it's gonna be just covered in ice uh, in about 100 years or so. And sure enough, true to Hollywood fashion, it actually happens two days later. And uh, there, there's this forced migration from the northern uh, states of, of the US down south and then all the way down into uh, the, the Mexican uh, border. And aside from a lot of big holes, in the movie and I'll pull a whole lot of cheese. It does get you thinking about when the, the script gets, gets flipped a little bit. And now we have Americans migrating and flooding the Mexican border and seeking refuge and, and safety. That's a powerful practice. When you look upon another person to, to flip the script. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter seven, Verse 12 says it this way. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, you know it, do also to them. To to look at people with with fresh eyes, to to, to flip the script and and have empathy and ask questions and learn their stories and and, and seek to to have understanding. I think every single one of us have people in our lives who we just don't get them. I just don't get you, I don't, I don't know how you are, the way you are, uh, how could you do that? You drive me crazy, you frustrate me, uh, and, and what we're told to do is to enter into their world. Put ourselves in their shoes. How would we wanna be treated if we were in their shoes? What factors, I wonder, are at play? Do you want to be seen only for your mistakes? Do you want people to apply the gospel of grace to your life? Put your Jesus goggles on. I think often on the call of Jesus to Simon Peter, who becomes the, really essentially the leader of the apostles. And in John chapter 1, verse 42, uh, the first time we see Jesus seeing Simon uh, at the time, he, he sees him with Jesus' eyes. He's Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, he looked at him and said, so you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. In the original language, that, that word looked, when Jesus looked at him is, is really rich. It doesn't mean he just kind of saw him quick. It means he, he leaned in, he looked into the man, Simon. And he sees him not as a failure, which he had failures in his past, He sees him not as the loud-mouthed guy with all the the issues. He sees him not as just the gritty fisherman. Jesus leans in and looks into him, and he sees him for who he can be when Jesus gets a hold of his life. And he says, you shall be called Cephas, Peter, which means the rock. You're going to be somebody. It's interesting, too, that three years later, the same word is used when Jesus looks on Peter. Luke 22, 61, as Jesus is being shuffled from trial to trial to trial right before his crucifixion, Peter, as Jesus predicted, denies Jesus. I don't know I don't know And the third time around the fire, so emphatically he denies Jesus that he calls a curse upon himself, maybe saying something to the effect of, may God send me to hell if I ever knew that man. And it says that when he says that, Jesus is ushered right past him and Jesus looks at him. He saw his greatest moment of failure and yet a few days later he's going to restore Peter. Those are Jesus' eyes. Not just seeing the failure, seeing the frustration, seeing who someone currently is seeing the sin, but seeing who they can be. Seeing them as a soul, seeing them as someone that was made in the image and the likeness of God with intrinsic worth from God. And if Jesus has those eyes towards other people, the people who sin against Him, every sin is a sin against Him, then surely we should have those eyes for other people. Jesus Godless. Jesus Godless. I'll never forget when I was a kid being in Sunday school at my church growing up and I had this teacher who was investing in us and loved us so well. And I'll never forget, I, I remember the the arrangement of the room, I remember exactly where it was in the church. I remember the sun coming through the window. It was just such a transformative moment for me as a kid when the teacher is teaching us and, and she asks us this. She says, I wanna give you a prayer. I wanna give all the kids a prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. So don't pray it unless you wanna really get your life kind of ruffled a little bit. And she said, I dare you to pray. God, would you give me the eyes of Jesus? God, would you give me the eyes of Jesus? And I took her up on it and I started praying regularly for God to give me the eyes of Jesus, for God to allow me to see people the way that he's seeing people. God, would you allow me to to see the people that are in my path on purpose for a reason. God, would you allow me to be able to slow down, to to, to see one person, to connect with one person today? It's a transformative question, now it's my turn. I dare you, dare you to regularly pray, God, would you allow me to see people the way Jesus sees people? And I'll say the same thing, it's a dangerous prayer. If you pray it and you mean it and you pray with regularity, just like you pray for your financial provision, just like you pray for your kids' schooling, just like you pray for that, that person you want to marry someday, if you pray it with regularity and seriousness and say, God, I want this, that's a prayer he likes to answer. God, would you give me the eyes of Jesus? Let me give you one final hard truth as we wrap up. For many of us, I don't think the issue is Jesus goggles. I think for many of us, the issue is blinders. It's not a seeing people the way Jesus sees people issue. It's a, it's a blinder issue. It's not that you don't want to see people the way Jesus seeing people. It's that you just don't want to see people. Like you just want to see whatever's in front of you at the moment. Think about the horses at Quincy Market who are are carrying the the carriage and all the tourists around the area there. And if you notice, they have the blinders on. And the idea of the blinders for the horses is is so that they don't see things around them, so they don't get spooked by the troubles around them. They're just focused. And they're just playing it safe. I think for many of us, that's our problem. It's not a Jesus goggles problem. It's even before that, it's a blinders problem. We don't wanna see people, we just, we got our issues, we got our challenges, we have got our careers, we have got my family, which seems super noble, but it's not biblical. Kids are lacking something when you don't bring other people into their lives and and it gets messy and challenging and you wrestle through it together but you just focus on my kids and their sports and the things that we're doing. It's dangerous for your soul, but it's safe. Maybe the the issue is blinders. We as God's people need to be troubled by the troubles around us. We as God's people need to see the people in our peripheral vision. And we need to turn our heads and we need to stop our priorities, our agenda, our life goals, our career goals. And we need to look at them. We need to look at them. We need to be spooked by the issues around us because we have the answer to apply to those troubles. Individually, we need to take the blinders off. Corporately as a church, so grateful to have four walls to meet in. But one of my, my constant prayers with this transition is that though we're inside, we would remain focused on those who are outside. Our mission as a church is connecting Boston and beyond to Christ. Our mission as a church plant is not to get to a sizable, sustainable place and finally get a building and finally get to a place where we we can make budget and we're good and let's just be a, a big old happy family. We wanna be a family, but a family on mission together. Individually, corporately, blinders off. So as we enter into our time of response, I want you just to think about where you are at right now. What is most applicable for where you're at? Is it a blinder issue? You're not seeing people around you. You don't wanna see people around you. Is it a goggle issue that you're seeing people, or you're having trouble seeing people the way Jesus sees people? Or maybe what you're here for, the reason God brought you here today, is just so that you can hear as you identify with this woman who is labeled a sinner, and you're fully aware of your sin, and your struggle, and your separation with God, maybe you just need to see that God sees you, that Jesus sees you, he acknowledges you, and he loves you, and he's got a better future for you. Can we go to God in prayer as we respond? Let's go to God. Father, God, in this moment, but my prayer is that you would, doing a work in our hearts, Father, heaven, please, would you give us the eyes of Jesus for those around us, both the people in this room and those who are not yet in this space. God, help us to look at people and see more than what we we see at our initial interaction. To see them as a person that you love and you value you want to display your grace to, and you have a better future for and you want to draw them into a relationship with Jesus and change their life, change their world, give them a hope and a future and a mission. And for some of us, it's a spouse, we're so frustrated with it. Some of us, it's a, it's a family member, some of us, it's a parent, it's a neighbor, Hard to live here. It's a co-worker. It's it's an issue that you want us to step into, and we just don't want to step into that issue. It's messy, it's dangerous. I don't have answers yet. God wants us to apply the gospel of grace that this woman received to them. And some of us right now we need to confess to God: God, I am living with blinders on. I'm not seeing anything other than my issue, my career, my hopes for my family, me. God, help me in in the midst of an incredibly individualistic, self-centered, driven, narcissistic culture to be radically different, to be like Jesus who stopped even in the midst of his missions, to do other good things, you stop for the person that was right there beside him in that moment. God, help us to exercise faith and to slow down and to create margin in our life for people, for ministry, for the things that last to eternity. i said to God in this time, just confess it to him. Say, God, that is me. And God, I pray right now for anybody who is here. They don't know you. They're far from you. They think you would want nothing to do with them. And they hear the story of this woman who Jesus looks upon and actually elevates and her faith and her story is recorded for us thousands of years later as an example. God, may that breathe life into their souls right now. To know that you see them, you love them, and you plan for them, a the future for them. They would just place faith in you and trust in you. Give them to you. God, thank you for your scriptures. Help us to respond accordingly we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.